Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Haas Talks Foss. I'm Matt Yankovic, the Haas here at Percona, and I'm here with Kyle Davis. Kyle, how are you doing today? I am great. Thanks for asking. Great. So if you don't know, Kyle uh, works for AWS and his project, his baby, is the Open Search. Uh, project, which is the fork of Elastic that just recently came out and recently went GA. Um, so we're glad to have Kyle on here. Um, if you hadn't seen, Kyle also did uh, probably the longest marathon session at Percona Live that we had. I think he had, what, six sessions in six, a row yeah. just on a la- uh, uh, open search. Uh, so, you know, a big deep dive there, uh, which is awesome. Uh, but Kyle, uh, thank you for joining us. Um, and I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your background because I've talked to a lot of different people over the last, you know, few months. Uh, and I don't always talk to someone in a DevRel dev advocacy role. And this mm-hmm. is something that is a very popular, um, position that I'm starting to see crop up in lots of different organizations. And so I wanted to, you know, maybe have you talk a little bit about your background, give us, you know, your journey to how you became a dev advocate at, you know, AWS and what that means. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, thanks for having me. And, and, you know, the dev advocacy is something I'm pretty passionate about. Uh, I'm one of those people that I should have been probably riding my bike when I was a kid. And instead I was writing software. Um, And I I have a big passion for that. Um, and I, and I also have a, you know, before I was in developer advocacy and before I was, uh, I, I you know, had a career diversion into higher education. So I, I worked at universities for about a decade. Um, so for me, it's all about, you know, making sure that I can talk and share, uh, all sorts of information about, uh, developers and developer, uh, <clears throat> and developer, um, um, activities with people who are trying to, um, you know, learn a new set of software, or they're trying to um, get involved with it in some way or another. So, uh, you know, my my background uh, previously before this, I was you know full stack developer, and I was you know ran my own company for a while. Um, and then uh, I started using this software called Redis, and and I, I worked for Redis Labs for a long while in their um, the developer advocacy um, division as well. Um, and so for me, I, I'm a database guy. Um, you know, that's where I find. A lot of my my passion and a lot of uh, you know uh, where I find frankly the neatest stuff to work with is in databases, um, and so I like to be able to share my passion with other folks on this. So um, for the Open Search project, I was actually um, hired for Open Distro for Elasticsearch, which is kind of the predecessor um, to um, Open Search, and um, you know I kind of took this role because I, I wanted to work more with open source. Um, I've worked with open source kind of projects throughout my career, but I really wanted the experience of, of you know, um, working with uh, a really uh, interesting thing and, and trying to get contrib- contributors and that sort of thing. So in my role as a developer advocate, I have kind of a, a split um, responsibility. One, it's to make sure people who are interested in, um, you know, open search, get what they need. Like, how do they get the resources they need? Um, is the product delivering what they need? Um, and so I kind of work as that bridge between the developers who are using it and those who are um who are wanting and developing it. And then also my other responsibility is about contributors and getting people to contribute to um, the, the software as well. So uh, getting people the resources that they might need to, to get started. So, yeah, it's that dual path. So it's, you know, you, you've got the feedback loop that you're trying to get. I, I got to be honest, every open source project I've ever worked on or any product, whether it's open source or not, there's always that feedback. It's like, I want more feedback. I can't, 
you know, get the feedback I need from the users. And it seems like that is a missing component from a lot of software companies, a lot of products, because you want to make sure that you're developing a product for the users that are going to use it. And a lot of times you end up having two or three very vocal users who end up driving most of the roadmap, which isn't good either. Uh, So it's, it's, you know, building out those relationships so you can listen and hear, um, you know, and, and it's it's interesting because I've seen kind of this uh, dev advocate uh, evangelist role in many different companies uh, take on different forms. And, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned two of the big ones, which is feedback and contributions, which, you yeah. know, those are two, two big ones. Uh, but a lot of companies don't necessarily even want contributions. So this ends up being a lot of evangelism as well, where you're out there at Percona Live, for instance, and you're telling people how to use it, how to install it. So you've kind of got these three prongs, which is the feedback, you've got the contributions, and you've got that evangelism that, you know, Mm -hmm. look at all of the cool things you can do. Let me show you, let me teach you. And then that sounds like it's kind of your background, having come from university, you know, having Mm -hmm. that passion to teach people how to do something, um, you know, more interesting. Uh, yeah. You know, right. and people who are trying to get into a dev advocate role or a, you know, a role, what, what advice would you have for them? Gosh, it, you know, it, right now it's great. Uh, this is, um, I'm part of a, a DevRel Slack called the DevRel Collective. Um, and um, when I joined, there was probably like 500 people, which was a few years ago. Now there's over 2000 uh, people wow. in this. Yeah. Really active community. And, um, you know, there are, as you in- indicated, there's lots of organizations that are that are hiring. Um, you know, for for more developer advocates. So, if you're interested in this, basically, you know, the kind of ingredients to be a developer advocate is you you want you need to know your stuff, right? You need to be able to learn quickly um, because you may get a job and that is not something that you're fully familiar with, right? Um, so maybe you're you're relatively new to it, so you have to dive in and be able to get there. Um, and then you need to be open to talking to people. Um, you know, it's it's really a people person type of role um, that has uh, technology as its kind of background, right? Um, so, um, it, you know, it, it's thinking about communication and communication with developers and being empathetic to what they need is, is are key components to um, you know being a developer advocate. Now, it's interesting. Um, you know, developer advocate is is very focused it's, it sounds like it's all developer focused and in a lot of cases it ends up transforming into you know more than just developer because you've got you know your infrastructure people you've got your dbas you've got your sysadmins you've got your devops engineers uh you've got all of these different you know players uh in the space and i think that a lot of companies are looking at how do we reach those developers uh, but a lot of what we do ends up reaching not only developers, but it reaches um, those infrastructure folks as well. That's a, that's a great point. Um, so, you know, the, the interesting thing is that um, there's not a good term uh, that, that encompasses everybody. We, we've, I've seen organizations jump through hoops trying to say, you know, technical evangelism or something along those lines to be encompassing of people who operate software, people who are DBAs, people who are, uh, you know, name these things. And so for, as a field, developer advocates generally just use the word developer to mean not only people who write software, which is kind of, that's the probably best definition of what a developer is, but also people who run the software and people who, you know, enable others to run the software, set up the infrastructure, um, so it's kind of a catch-all for sure. Um, and, you know, with open search, for example, you know, uh, for sure, we have people who are writing 
Python or Java or whatever every day, but we have a lot of folks that are more on the infrastructure side and they're monitoring and, you know, doing log analytics and trying to make sure that their services are staying up. So, um, you know, we have to make sure that um, we're addressing everybody who, who would be uh, using the software. Um, and, and so often this software addresses more than one kind of group of people. Um, yeah. So it, it's a challenge. And, and I think part of that is this is not a good, good word for it. Yeah. Well, and th- this is where, you know, I, I come from the database space as well, as you as you know, like I've been in the database space now for 20 plus years. And um, I- I'll be honest, my experience, and this is me talking, is uh, developers don't like databases. <laughs> right. Like it's like the necessary evil for their application, which is great because, you know, like, you know, a lot of the new technologies that are coming out, whether it's database or service or whatever, it enables developers to move quickly. Click the button. It's up running. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom. But that shifts a lot of uh, the focus for people who are trying to do that evangelism and trying to get people excited or, you know, show them what they can do, because a lot of the features sometimes they're, they're features that are like, yeah, they're totally needed. Security is totally needed. But the mindset of a developer doesn't always think like about those, you know, security or stability or scalability issues. They're thinking, you know, features. So, I mean, like, and this is I me mean, picking your brain here. How do you reach developers who might not necessarily care as much about the database internals or the functionality? Um, you know, that's a challenge that I've seen many companies um, across the space run into. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a challenge for sure. The, the one thing I think is interesting about it is when you get down to the basics of it, right? Um, in, in my mind, databases and, you know, programming languages are really kind of two sides of the same coin. And so when you start exposing developers to that, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you look at SQL, right, like it derives from ADA, like it has the same roots as ADA, right? Uh, and I learned ADA early in my career, which is a bizarre language to learn. Um, and when I figured that out, I was like, oh my gosh, the world opened up to me. So I've tried to bring that along for a lot of folks is to show people, you know, a database is just a really specialized, you know, domain specific language that will allow you to do really powerful things that you didn't think were possible, right? Um, you know, so often it's people will work around and do everything possible to uh, avoid using some sort of feature in a database. And when you expose them to some of the features that you can use, it's like everything that I've done so far has been too much. And I can just use this one little feature that will really make things a lot easier on myself. Um, yeah. and, but, you know, it's, it's also a challenge too, because, uh, you know, people are, there are DBAs out there, for example, love DBAs, but there are DBAs out there that want people to stay, uh, you know, one meter away from their database, right. For stability or, you know, lots of other reasons too. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's so interesting. You know, like you, you talk about like, you know, sometimes people avoid using features because they want to prevent locking or whatever reason. They're like, oh, I'm not going to use this database feature. I had a company that I worked for 10 years ago when I was doing consulting, and they actually didn't want to use database joins in case they wanted to change the, the back end. So they, they, they would basically read two tables and then join it in Java. Yep. I've hundred percent seen like, that. Why would you do that? Like, you know, like it, it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's weird stuff like that, 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 that still happens. But, um, you know, th- thanks for telling us a little bit about the, the DevRel background in, you know, now coming in 
you know, to AWS, you, you mentioned, you know, you, you've been there for uh, a bit of time now and you started with, you know, coming in, hey, you're going to work on getting code contributions on uh, the open distro and then things kind of changed, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you know, it changed to this fork called uh, open search. So right. for those listening who might not have seen your sessions, might not, you know, have, have seen that, maybe just give us a, a high level on what open search is. Yeah, yeah. I think this is important to understand the context. So in the beginning, there was Elasticsearch, right, and Kibana. And um, there was multiple different ways you could get that, right? There was uh, an open source version, and then there was a version that had some proprietary code that you couldn't use if you, for example, had an organizational prohibition from using certain licenses, right? Um, It might have been free, there might have been some that was paid for, so on and so forth. And that worked fine for a lot of folks. Basically, AWS said, you know, our users are asking for a lot more. So what's the best way to solve that? Um, Elasticsearch and Kibana both are pluggable architectures. So they built a series of plugins. AWS built a series of plugins and released them as open source. And then packaged this all together with an installer and a couple other tools and called it Open Distro for Elasticsearch, somewhat similar to a Linux distribution. And it happened in 2019, right? Um, and that provided a lot of function for people because it was pure open source, right? It was Apache 2 up and down the stack. Um, and, you know, you had the features that you needed. And, it, you know, some of these features were just table stakes, like security, like being able to make sure someone had to provide a password to get into Elasticsearch. And, you know, we all know that when you have a database that doesn't have a password, you're just asking for trouble, no matter how much you try to secure it. Um, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of a problem occurring because of someone getting never. not putting it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, that existed for a while. And, and you know, I think that that um, that we had a lot of adoption for that for across a variety of industries. But a lot of people adopted it because they wanted to not have lock-in or they, they wanted to um, have the same. That's what AWS's um, Amazon Elasticsearch service ran on, right? So they wanted to have the same type of functionality, either on-prem or in the service that they were using. Lots um, of portability between the cloud and, you know, on, on-prem. Yeah. For sure. And, and, you know, that's totally reasonable. Um, and so that existed for a while, you know, and, and then in January of 2021, we were in a meeting and one of the developer uh, managers in, on Open Distro said, hey, uh, there was a blog post uh, posted the other this morning and it said that there's going to be a license change on Elasticsearch. And uh, my thought was, OK. It's been a good, uh, you know, few months here. I need to go find a new job. I thought it was all over, right? <laughs> um, and come to find out, you know, Elastic uh, changed the license to uh, a proprietary license, SSPL or the Elastic license. Um, and that meant that Open Distro was not something that was possible um, any, to be developed anymore. Um, there was no base for that. Uh, so after Elasticsearch 7.10.2, um, the license was changed to this uh, dual license between the Elastic license and SSPL, which both are not open source licenses. They're proprietary licenses. They may be defined as source available, but they're not open source by the open source definition. Right. Um, and so after a lot of deliberation, um, the decision was made at AWS to say, you know, we're going to stick a bunch of engineers at this and let's create a purely open source fork of Elasticsearch and Kibana, um, which involved us renaming, and because it is a fork, we needed to rename, um, as well as the the code base for Elasticsearch and Kibana uh, was a little bit unusually done because it was mixed, right? So some files were um, 
proprietary and some files were open source. And so there was a lot of meticulous separation of, of that, right? Um, so basically we had to strip out all that. We had to strip out, build, have new build processes. We had to uh, strip out anything that was like marketing stuff that was being put into it. Um, any type of phone home or, or, or a telemetry collection that was being used that had to be all stripped out. Um, and then we took the plugins and tools that are part of the open distro project and combined that uh, with these new forks of Elasticsearch and Kibana. And Elasticsearch became OpenSearch and uh, Kibana became OpenSearch dashboards. Um, and so combining those together with the plugins, you have this new kind of stack out here that has, um, you know, all the great features that you would expect. Um, some are quite premium features um, that, that, you know, um, other organizations charge money for. Um, and, uh, you know, now you have it all as an open source Apache 2.0 stack that you can use um, pretty much anywhere. Apache 2.0 is really permissive and used a lot of places. And I noticed that there's actually quite a few companies that have started to contribute as well and work mm -hmm. with you. So it's not just an AWS project. It's a community-driven project. So um, I, I think I saw Ivan was one. Mm -hmm. um, you know, LogZ was doing some work as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, and there are other bigger companies uh, out there that are starting to, you know, become part of this community and, and this collective. Um, how has that growth uh, been going? Yeah. So, you know, being community driven is really important and, and community driven is one of those kind of, it's a little bit of a, you know, it can mean a lot of different things to many different people. Right. Um, and from our perspective, like we want to build what people want. Right. And as part of that, we want people to contribute. Right. Um, so uh, we've been really uh, aggressively looking at other folks to help us along the way. When I say us, I'm saying AWS in this case, um, and then collectively we can be the open search project. Um, so you're right. Um, you know, LogZ has been an active contributor. Um, we have a lot of kind of drive-by contributions. We have a lot of people from the Lucene project, which is Lucene is, you know, one of the things that OpenSearch and Elasticsearch are based on, right? Um, have come in and dive in and helped us really build some great software. Um, so we have a partners program for those people who are wanting to kind of, you know, um, create a closer relationship. But in reality, everything occurs in the open, right? Um, if you want to be part of the, par the partners program, it's a pull request, right? So we really feel like this is all part of this and we're working on uh, as being as transparent as possible, right? Um, as we go along, uh, we're bringing in more people into the fold, uh, you know, and, and that's going to be uh, taking the form of, you know, different people in different organizations being able to have complete control over parts of the, the project, right? Um, so it'll be... Um, Something that we see as, as not just an AWS thing, but really see as if you have the desire, the drive, and the engineering to, to contribute to it, we want to empower you to do that, right? Um, so there are some complications. You know, open search is a very complex project, and the release is not simple. Um, but I think there's some architectural changes that are eventually coming down the pike that will will make like you know this an easier um, project for multiple stakeholders to have a true ownership in. Yeah. And, and honestly, you know, just, just, you know, from what, what, you know, Elastic was the fork, a fork process, it's of, of a software this large mm -hmm. is a daunting task. I mean, that, that's a very big undertaking. It's not something that, you know, you can, you can, you know, undertake lightly generally. 
you know, what were some of the challenges in forking such a large project? Like, what did you run into that was, you know, we had, we needed to overcome this, you needed to overcome that, you know, like, what were some of those things? Because, you know, it, it, it's kind of a last resort, generally, in most companies to fork something, um, you know, you want to contribute upstream, obviously, when they change the licensing, and you can, but um, what, maybe, maybe talk to us a little bit about that process of, you know, some of the gotchas in the big fork, and, you know, things you had to overcome. Yeah, it's it's challenging. It's super challenging. Um, and, you know, that's been a constant uh, discussion is like, can we contribute this upstream somewhere? Or is it something that we uh, need to fork? Because it should be the last um, ditch effort to fork something. And, and this is a case where, yeah, it, it should be. Uh, I think for a lot of folks, you know, if you have a, kind of a cursory use of uh, open source projects, you just go to GitHub and you hit the fork button and you've got a fork. Um, but, but that's not the reality when you work with something that has so many components and it's such a large code base that has 10 years of development involved in it. Um, so, you know, as far as what we had to go through, right? Like one of that was the separating out of the um, different licenses that's done. And we never want to do that again. Incredibly painful. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> It was a lot of work. We had two different projects, right? We have Kibana that we turned into open search dashboards and then open Elasticsearch we turned into open search. And they took two different teams doing this because they're different programming languages. And you know, some teams, one team said we're gonna look at every single file that was open search. And then open search dashboard said we're gonna like copy, replace, and clean up the mess, right? across the whole uh, thing. I can't say either one was really good. Um, there was, you know, it was hard either way. Um, so one, we did keep on finding little bits and pieces here, uh, here and there, um, you know, right before we released it, our release candidate, um, we were going through and we saw for one half of one second, uh, a logo come up that was not a logo for open search. And, um, we had to delay our release, right? Like that was something that we looked at and we said, that's not acceptable for it to, to go forward. Uh, and term, come to find out that that, um, that logo was embedded in a dependency. So it wasn't even something in, in the code, right? So we had to go and figure out why that was. But literally for 480 milliseconds, it was on the screen. And we had one eagle-eyed developer who was kind of QAing it and said, wait a minute, I just saw something. Um, and so just stuff like that. I mean, you know, that's, that's an eye blink, right? Um, and then, you know, we'll find things like URLs that are embedded that follow a format that, that does open search doesn't have. And we'll, we'll find these different pieces here and there. And we're, we're going to find these little pieces everywhere, but we're very confident that, you know, all this kind of proprietary stuff is gone. And so if you, if you wanted to fork, if, if, you know, Matt, you said, I want to fork open search, you could, and it wouldn't be something that you would have to do that kind of same painful process. And, that's important because it keeps everyone honest. Yeah, because I mean, I think that's that's the beauty of open source, right? Is um, you know you have the opportunity to take the software and do what you need to, and if you know whoever the maintainer is isn't you know keeping up with what you know you feel, you have the opportunity to take it and you know try something else, and uh, that's a powerful. Uh, thing in the open source space. And it's something that I think, you know, a lot of us have valued the ability to do that um, because, you know, you can not only contribute, but if your contributions don't make it in, you always have that opportunity to, you know, make your own version, um, you know, build your own, you know, uh, 
you know, libraries, things like that. I mean, and, and this has been classic in the MySQL space and the Postgres space for years, uh, because a lot of times what you'll see is a company will come along and they'll say, you know, hey, I want this special feature, the special, you know, I'm going to hook into my security infrastructure, my monitoring infrastructure, and then that just doesn't make it upstream. And so they maintain a fork and, you know, they have their own internal thing. Um, yep. and, and many companies have done that over the years. Cool. Uh, so, so you've gone through the work now, and you just recently GA. So, congratulations on that. Uh, so now it is officially GA and ready for prime time. It's out there, um, and you know the uh, open search it, is is this now um, what's running behind the scenes as well, like the full stack for uh, the, the the service for AWS. Not quite. Um, so that's something that uh, we're going to be working on. Uh, I mean, right now I'm, I'm on calls every day about that. Um, so what will eventually happen is, um, you know, right now the service is Amazon Elasticsearch service. We're changing that into Amazon OpenSearch service. And we'll have some sort of, okay. you know, formally known as Amazon Elasticsearch service so people can identify it. Um, and, um, you know, then we'll be, that'll be the prime uh, you know, the, the first thing you're offered as far as that. But if you are an existing user or, you know, you, you want to use some old version, we do maintain old versions. So it's not like you'll be forced to use open search, right? So you can still select uh, open distro based um, ones. I think 19 versions back. It's, it's, uh, we keep everything alive. So if you want to stick with it, uh, go for it. Uh, my job is not really um, so much working with the service. So, um, you know, I, I can answer just the, the kind of uh, brief questions cool. about it, but, um, yeah, it, the one thing I do want to say is, you know, the, the thing we really want to kind of tighten up on this is um, we want Amazon Open Search Service to be a kind of model version of Open Search. And we want to make sure that if there's a, a, a open source release as soon as possible, right now we're in, you know, a period of weeks before it'll be out on the service. Um, we want that to be tightened up as much as possible. So uh, if you, we release, you know, Open Search 2.4 in the future, um, you know, what we'd love, I don't know if we're ever going to get there or not, is within hours, um, it'll, you'll be able to get on the service. Um, and, uh, you know, our release process and that's great. would be that way. And right? I think that I, I think that that allows people to run the mixed use cases. And I think that's that, that's a, a great outcome. Now, can I, can know, I mention one thing here? I, I do want to say something about that, though. Um, if you want to use open search right now, there are services that provide open search and do it. Uh, Bonsai search, for example, uh, is offering to their customers right now. Uh, so they, and, and I think one day we're able to get uh, open search GA up on their service. Wow. Okay. So oh, excellent. they beat us to it, yeah. uh, which is great. Yeah, no. And that, that's what you want to see is you want to see, you know, that, that um, collaboration and, you know, work together. And, you know, as these projects become more successful, the more people who can benefit from them, the better off the ecosystem is, right? Yeah. Um, it's about making the, the the pie bigger for everyone, and then everyone is going to share in it. Um, so I, I do think that that's an excellent, um, you know, thing that, you know, you, you actually had a, a, a someone else, you know, beat you to a, a service for open search. So yeah, that's cool. We're proud of that. So if people are looking to get started um, and, and maybe, you know, number one, start using mm -hmm. and number two, maybe contribute. Yeah. What, what, what does that look like right now? Sure. Um, so the way you can get started, the, the easiest way, uh, go to open search org in the top right hand corner. Um, there is a button that says uh, get started and 
the first thing there is the Docker Compose that will launch a cluster and open search dashboards. Um, so if you want to play around with it within a few minutes, you're up and running um, with just, you know, you download a YAML file and run Docker Compose up. You have a coffee because you have to download lots of dependencies. Um, that's just the way Docker works. And, uh, you know, you'll be able to get in there and then you can start by clicking, you know, there, you go to dashboards. There's a, on the front page of it, try some sample data um, and you can start querying. It'll load some sample data in. You can start doing getting your hands dirty with visualizations. Super easy. Great. And, um, you know, if, if you're if they're looking to contribute, maybe participate in some of the discussions around features mm -hmm. and roadmaps, where can they do that? Sure. Uh, so a couple different ways to do that. Um, you know, like I said, we do everything on um, on GitHub, right? So you can look at our uh, roadmap. You can kind of dive into Open Search Project is our GitHub ID, um, and um, also available on Open Search Org if you want to just kind of follow those links. Um, and uh, basically, uh, you can. There's lots of help wanted tags out there. Just dive right in. Uh, the nice thing about the project is we don't use a CLA. Uh, we so which is a kind of barrier to entry for those who haven't used those before. You have to sign a legal document, and it's kind of pain in the butt. Uh, but we do use what's called DCO, uh, Developer Certificate of Origin, which basically sign off your commits. Um, and it's a um, lighter weight, and it still provides the protection that you know your your code is uh, contributed in in a, in a way that makes a lot of sense. It's something the Linux Foundation uses. Um, so um, you can get started really quickly. Uh, we do have community meetings that we have hold uh, biweekly. So if you want to join in on those, you can kind of get the lowdown on those. Um, and, uh, you know, it'll be really easy to kind of bridge your way into it. Um, but then, you know, we have forums as well that, that you can kind of, uh, kind of gauge if you have questions or anything like that, that you can do, uh, you can see what's uh, the most appropriate way to dive in. And we've had lots of people that have said, Hey, is this a possible thing on the forums? And we say, yes, do it. And they've done it. And that's great for everyone. That's cool. Yeah, that, that's good to get the instant feedback and be able to, you know, contribute back. So that's awesome. And, um, you know, so what does the future hold? Like, you you know, you've been having these, you know, kind of open discussions, you know, where does the roadmap take you in the next, you know, six, nine, 12, 36 months? Who knows how long? Yep. Like, what, what have you got planned? So the best thing about open search, and I think it's really uh, a credit to the people who are doing it, is we have um, this policy of having uh, open roadmaps. So uh, we have a and GitHub projects, basically, uh, we keep our roadmap available, and you can get that. Open search org has links to it. Um, it's a bit of a long URL, uh, but um, you can take a look at it and scroll down and see what we're doing. And that's that's the roadmap we work from. Um, <clears throat> so it's interesting when you look at that. Um, so we use semantic versioning. So um, starting right now, 1.0 is out, uh, you know, late August timeframe. Uh, we're looking at 1.1 and we'll do kind of a release train schedule. So about every month, we're going to release something. Uh, and we're looking at OpenSearch 2.0 coming out in January of 2022. Um, so uh, with semantic versioning, 1.1 range is largely compatible with Elasticsearch 7.10.2. There's just a few little nuances and setup things that are different. Uh, and uh, But 2.0 will, will bring uh, you know the possibility of breaking changes, but that comes with a lot of um, also ability to start advancing things really quickly. Um, so, you know, we already have some breaking changes planned. They'll be pretty minor. We're going to get rid of some language that's not inclusive um, that will break some things. So we, we want to move away from uh, just some things that, that um, are common in the industry, but maybe not be the best for the whole industry. Um, but that will be a breaking change. It's nominal, but uh, we're looking at that. 
Uh, but we'll also start looking at uh, adding in, you know, some more features and changing some architecture um, that will really make it better for everybody. Great. Well, Kyle, thank you for hanging out with me this morning. Um, I do appreciate it. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate you guys being transparent and, you know, helping out the community with all the things you've done with OpenSearch. And uh, we look forward to seeing where the project goes. It's going to be fun to watch. Wow, what a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.